Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the NASPA Leadership Podcast. On today's episode, we are speaking with Dr. Kristen Rupert Davis, who is the Associate Dean of Students at The Ohio State University. And she works with leadership programs, community and civic engagement and service, student philanthropy, sorority and fraternity life, anti-hazing programs, and homecoming court. Amy Haggard is currently the Assistant Director for Title IX in the Office of Student Conduct and Community Standards at Florida State University and a doctoral candidate in the Higher Education PhD program. And Grant Mitchell is a program coordinator in the Office of First Year Experience at Tulane University in New Orleans, Louisiana. And in his role, Grant oversees student leaders in training and leadership development, plans welcome and transition programs, and provides retention support on initiatives for incoming students. Britt, please share with us a little bit about why you've invited these three folks to join us today. Yeah, I'd be more than happy to. I'm mean, what a just a brilliant group of people. Um, I think our our asks for them maybe was threefold. I think first you and I had a conversation about um what better focus to have on a season about context than to ask some practitioners across functional areas, right? To come to us and have a conversation first on their level of just being practitioners, right? Um, with the people that are really in the trenches, in the work, seeing students every day, um, doing one-on-one coaching, peer-to-peer education, all the things. So I think first level that was a practitioner panel was a, a must for us. Second is these, we had a conversation about what does it look like, right? Do we do multiple episodes with lots of functional areas, whatever? We thought maybe it's cool to have a conversation across functional areas, people that are coming from different lenses, right? So in this specific conversation, Kristen has a whole range, but really a, a deep background in um, community service learning, advising, leadership education as well, um, traditions and programs, some other elements of that. Amy has worked um, with both like high achieving honors programming, as well as um, currently in student conduct. And Grant has worked primarily in orientation um, at a couple of institutions where he's had experience too. And thinking about that. But then the third layer I think of this ask is that they're all at different points of their career, where the scope of their work, who they're educating, who's peer, who is all those pieces, um, potentially the capital they have at the institution for what lens of um, influence they may have is also slightly different, right? So you've got Kristen, who's at the associate dean level, um, and, and we'll share um, and you shared in her bio, overseeing a lot of areas and maybe working more at a high level um, hype its balcony, right, of uh, being able to have influence, maybe doing more leadership educator peer-to-peer work with her colleagues of how are they doing leadership education work. You've got Amy, who's in student conduct and doing a lot more like survival of, of the students, but having to then infuse um, leadership education work of that. And then Grant, who is one-on-one with students all the time, working with incoming students and their families um, and all kinds of things that he is constantly like, kind of in in the day-to-day of what we think of as student affairs work, um, especially at the entry level. So uh, getting all those lenses too of how leadership education um, kind of prospers and flourishes in that as well, I think was really important for us in the conversation. And I hope um, folks enjoy that dynamic between these three because we just, we think the world of them. That's our fourth level to ask is we also think the world of these three and we're excited for folks to hear the good work they do too. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. Should we dive in? We should. Let's do it. Hey, we're back. I'm so excited about this one. 
Me too. I can't wait. What a good group we've got. I know. So we're going to do some intros. Um, esteemed guest, if you wouldn't mind, let us know your name, your pronouns, your current role or work, um, and maybe just a little tidbit on in what ways you are a leadership educator. Who wants to go first? I can. Go ahead, Kristen. So uh, my name is Kristen Rupert Davis. I serve as the Associate Dean of Students at Ohio State University. I use um, she, her pronouns. And um, I like to trace my leadership origin story and why I'm here um, to all of my time at Ohio State. Um, I could probably trace it back to being a bossy elementary school girl and being just a little too loud, but we don't need to go for that far back. We do not need to unpack that here um, for sure. So mostly I got interested in leadership education right after my master's program when I started working at Ohio State and I got the opportunity to facilitate um, leadership as a cluster facilitator. And then I met the amazing Melissa Rocco and got to spend time with her and then worked in the Office of Student Life at Ohio State. So there's a Go Bucks right there. And all of those experiences just sort of started to build on each other like little Legos until I realized this is actually the field that I work in and I can't get out now. And good thing I already love it because this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. Yeah. Love that. You know, shout out to the leader shapers out there. I know there are plenty of us. Yeah. We got a a leadership shout out. We got a go buck shout out. All of, all of the strings. I know. Who's next? Grant, you want to take the lead? She gave you the volley. Got it, I guess. She gave me the mic. Um, Well, hi, y'all. My name is Grant Mitchell. I use he, him, his pronouns. And I'm currently a program coordinator um, in our Office of First Year Experience at Tulane University, Roll Wave. Um, So coming to you from the lovely and humid New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, uh, Prior to that, though, a few different experiences kind of pointed me in this direction of leadership educator and leadership, not to like pull back the curtains too far. Um, But I have this like vivid memory of being in high school and we had a like kind of expansive like orientation support program for our students on campus. And I had never like conceptualized that students got to like work with, I think other students in that manner. And that was the first time I was like, oh, like I can support people and make them feel like they get to do something in the world. And someone was telling you like, oh, you are like a leader. Um, fast forward to when I went to the University of Georgia for undergrad, go dogs, um, go dogs. back-to-back national champions. It's the whole thing. We won't <laughs> mull over that one too much in this chat today. But that was, I think, the first time where someone wasn't just looking at me and saying, what does leader mean? What does it mean to engage in leadership learning? But was actually giving me the tools to like be critical about leadership in my own self and the world around me, even in ways I had never been asked or pushed to like think about it um, as a process or as a concept. Um, so big shout out, as I probably will mention several times, Dr. Brittany DeVee saw me at my baby roots of leadership learning. And then I went to grad school and said, oh my gosh, people really do this um, and help students understand the world around them, starting with themselves and how they engage with it. Um, And here I am now trying to figure out what that looks like career-wise, still kicking it with orientation work. So somewhere along the way, high school, I guess, always follows us, even when we leave it behind, which is a little Mm -hmm. scary to think about. Um, (laughs) But 
it's been cool to kind of transform and see that grow from here because whether it's facilitating with students or just talking about leadership, I've learned so much. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I love the the connection to some sort of like peer leader opportunity shows up a lot in this podcast. And that's mm -hmm. true for me too. So it's cool to hear you talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, last and but not least, um, <laughs> I'm Amy Haggard, I use she, her pronouns, and I am the assistant director in our Office of Student Conduct and Community Standards at Florida State University. Um, in my specific role, I deal with our Title IX cases and sexual misconduct cases. I'm also a PhD candidate in our higher education program, and so well on my way to finishing that when my, my research focus is actually on leadership identity development in high achieving students too. So um, got the focus there, but it's really interesting because when you think about in what ways are you a leadership educator or how did you get here? I just, A, I don't know if I ever knew I was interested in leadership education when I was interested, if that makes sense. And mm -hmm. then also, I just don't even, I think I'm taken aback. I don't think I can even see myself as a leadership educator. Um, I, growing up, I think I saw leadership as a specific person that, created spaces for people to be them be their best selves. And so that's how I've always mm -hmm. tried to live and be. Um, I also, both my parents were educators. Um, one, a high school educator. She's on her last year and I'm really proud of my mom for mm -hmm. finally retiring this May. Um, and then my dad, a higher education um, administrator. So both being educators, I kind of got to see through their lens and growing up, um, watching them kind of create those spaces for individuals to be their best selves and, and not even knowing or calling it leadership education, but seeing them do that work. Um, and so again, I think even when you asked me to do this podcast, Brittany, but just not even seeing myself as somebody that does that work. Um, but I think that having great peers and colleagues and mentors like you, Brittany, and like Dr. Guthrie as my, as my wonderful, not only faculty advisor, but mentor who really are just, she's a pillar in this, in this conversation and in leadership education to me, um, having, having that just kind of connection and community guide me to just understand this world more, um, and how really the work that I do every day, um, for students at Florida state is part of the bigger leadership education bubble. Yeah. Also, Amy, Barry in the lead that she submitted her perspectives yesterday. So let's time stamp that on um, when this episode is, but ma passing a major milestone in the PhD world. And um, also, um, we had a chit chat before we recorded the podcast too, but Melissa did her work on um, leadership identity development too, Amy. So you guys will have to um, befriend offline too um, for all those things as well. But this group, I know Melissa and I will probably say it many times in this episode, um, brings us a lot of warmth and joy that you all are coming from different institutions and in different functional areas, um, but at different points in your careers and scope of your work that I think um, will really inform a conversation that Grant and Amy, you um, particularly hit on that um, the practitioners doing this work every day oftentimes don't even see themselves as leadership educators, but are doing such good, critical leadership education and learning work um, for our students. And oftentimes the front lines of where our students are actually learning about leadership in many of the ways, right? They're often not getting to the classes or by the time they get to the classes, they've already had years of experiences um, that are outside of the classroom that are informing their experiences too. So on that note, as you all are thinking about um, what it looks like to become a leadership educator or maybe troubling 
um, how you haven't seen yourself before. Um, what did that journey look like? You all hit that, that a little bit in your origin story, but the shift from um, Grant at the University of Georgia or Kristen being a bossy elementary school student or other things too, um, you were the leadership learner primarily, right? And now you're doing a bit of your own learning, but also a lot of educating. What was that kind of shift in dynamic looking like for you all um, when you suddenly find yourself on the other side of the conversation doing more of the facilitating? I can go first, um, <laughs> unless you had a specific person in mind. Oh, um, go ahead. All you. But again, going back to like not realizing that I was interested in leadership education when I really was, I think in my previous work, um, I did a lot of alumni and student engagement work um, in, in academic affairs. And I think what I, I realized is that I really love developing students beyond like the classroom um, and kind of assisting with whatever engagement opportunities that could, you know, assist them with developing outside of that curricular space. And so I think in my current role and what I believe is that I, I, th I think I'm committed to student success and really holistic wellness, but I think that what makes my role special, my current role, and then also being in the PhD program is like the combination of understanding leadership education from like the theoretical lens, but incorporating that into what I'm doing daily in my work and merging the two. And really what I've seen through kind of like my practical experiences is that I can see and be able to support students better daily with kind of integrating opportunities for them, whether that's in like resources or programming or sending them into certain areas where I know that they will grow. Um, I think that that dedication to creating that environment for students uh, where their leadership skills can, you know, blossom is part of their educational experience. So whether, even if I'm not assisting them in a classroom setting or I'm helping them through challenges, being focused on that development outside of the classroom for me has been how I've seen my leadership education grow, if that makes sense. And I can mm -hmm. expand on that later, but I think just basically <laughs> in all the work that I've done, I, I've really realized for specifically the past five years being at Florida State is my growing interest and commitment to helping students be their best selves outside of the classroom, because it's just as important as being inside the classroom. And sometimes those leadership experiences and the happens in those spaces. And that to me really is leadership education. If I were to define it is what do all those experiences combined with the curricular experience create in a student? Well, that's really good insight into, you know, one of the themes that I, that we try to bring out, I think a lot in our conversations in these episodes is that the leadership education work is happening in spaces all across campus. Mm -hmm. And just because you're not working in the leadership programs office or teaching in a leadership studies classroom does not mean that you're not doing leadership education. So it's yeah. so it's heartening for me for someone that like yeah. that's a soapbox issue for, right? It's heartening <laughs> to hear you say, like I'm doing this work in these other spaces and I see it as leadership education. And that's the lens that I bring to my work, even though I'm not working in one of those more like formally designated leadership places. Right. So happy to hear you say that. Cause that to me was my biggest challenge when even thinking about that is like, I'm not mm -hmm. in those spaces like right. that were called those leadership mm -hmm. spaces, but yeah. everything we do can be in that lens. So when it's the it's the thing that many of our scholar friends, I first heard it from Julie Owen, but I know as many people have said it that 
um, leadership development is human development, right? And if we're doing good, critical human development work, and I often see leadership in my brain, if I had to do a formula of like human development with a growth mindset, right, is what I see a lot of leadership education as being is like, Amy, I mean, you see students, and we'll get into this in, in earlier, later questions too, but like some of the students at their worst moments, right? And you have this, yeah. this really pinnacle moment in student conduct, especially working with Title IX cases of seeing them at, at many times where they're in really survival, and you can still make those these beautiful human development, growth mindset, um, futuristic generative moments that can have large impact, which is exactly what leadership educators are supposed to do. I think I can piggyback off of that as well. Um, My leadership like experiences looking back now, I realize, but it didn't feel like it then I started my career as an academic advisor in Mm -hmm. um, a college of education and human ecology. Right. So that was like the students who already cared deeply and wanted to do things with people. And so I found myself not just advising them academically, but helping them make all of these life connections and helping them get involved on campus and helping them figure out how to navigate student teaching and internships and all of this other stuff. And I started to develop really good, deep relationships with these students that I look back now and and think, well, that was just the beginning of leadership education. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for me, my role is kind of different now is I don't get a lot of time with students anymore as an associate dean. So I spend the majority of my time working with staff members who do this work, which is super cool because I get to be the one that helps them figure out where they are on this journey and helps to guide them and mentor them and provide them resources, which is really interesting because although not all of them would tell you they're leadership educators, many of them are doing leadership education work and it's so important what they're doing and it's really great to help them make those connections and like Melissa said we have people in our office that I supervise whose job is leadership like they very Mm -hmm. specifically know that's their job and then I have people who are doing service work or sorority and fraternity life work or even hazing prevention work their everyday job is hazing prevention you know what that's still leadership education. And it's really Mm -hmm. cool to help make those connections with young staff members and help them figure out that journey and help educate them on that. And so from a very different perspective, I still get to do the leadership education work just with a wildly different population than when I started. Yeah. I love that. And I, it, Kristen, as you're talking, I'm reflecting too on like the theme of generativity, not just with students, but mm-hmm. with our pipeline of leadership educators. So certainly like thinking about your journey as a leadership educator and how the way you're infusing leadership learning into your work looks different now than it did than it did at other points in your career. Mm-hmm. And to some degree, the responsibility for those of us that have been in leadership education for a while to continue mm-hmm. to help you know, our colleagues understand how they can be explicitly involved in the work of leadership learning and development from whatever seat they're sitting in. I think mm-hmm. it's like something we forget to do explicitly over time. Yeah. And I like the royal we, but I feel like as people move on and up or or out to different roles, they kind of forget that we still have that responsibility to to bring the rest of the leadership education community along with us, no matter what kind of functional seat we're sitting in. And um, it just makes my heart sing to hear you talk yeah. about that with your staff, because that's what I would hope anyone in your role would be doing. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I think what's interesting too is you have to continue to keep yourself abreast of all of the new things, all of the new resource, all of mm-hmm. the changes, right? All of the um, new scholarship that's coming out. And you should also still be engaged in scholarship in some way, just because you're not a hundred percent working with students all the time. You are working with the people who are working with students. And so you want to know what's going on. You need to know what's going on. That should be a responsibility of people who supervise the people doing the work, doing the Mm -hmm. hands-on on the like boots on the ground work. Our responsibility is to be just as in the know as they are. So when they bring us new ideas, it's not the first time we're hearing it, but we can help them build something cool with it. I love that. Yeah. I definitely resonate. I feel like too, just with this idea of like the leadership learning framework, almost like scaffolding down. And as someone who was in his very much so like first role entry level started working professionally in the last year after leaving like a higher education grad program. Like I have those key moments where I'm working with students in like a leadership learning space. Um, And sometimes they are like high waves, like great days. And then sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, I was just learning about some of these things and I'm trying to figure out how they like apply, resonate and need to be like melded into my current work with student leaders. Um, And I think even just in keeping up with trends and like moving to meet students where they're at like whether you're doing it on a staff like lens and like supporting the people who do it or you're just trying to understand who's in front of you like it's cool to hear folks at different places within the field talk about what that means in their current role as someone who is not in all of those conversations but is the one working with supervisors and folks to execute on programs or curriculum and make sure our students are then prepared in my case to welcome like a thousand plus students Um, and welcome them into a campus and connect them with resources. Um, But I think also to something you said, Brittany, like even in my moments where I've been like, what does this look like? What trends am I leaning on? How am I like moving to like bring new pedagogies and things into practice? Like that idea of like a human like focus overall um, has given me like the grounding moments of like everyone in front of us is still like a human, a student walking into a room and like, maybe they've never been given the opportunity to understand who they are and what that looks like in their leader identity. Um, And I mentioned this um, even before we were on today, but I feel like some of my current students are like, why are we talking about this? Like, what are we doing? Um, And me and my like new professional self is like, like, yeah, like why? Like, I know why, but how do I make you really subscribe and like believe in that? Why? Mm -hmm. Um, Because that was, that was the turning moment for me as an undergraduate student was, having professionals who were leadership educators, whether they introduced themselves that way or not, um, ask me to like critically consider the overall, like who I was and then who is around me and where are we as an institution, as a Mm -hmm. state. um, And then just me as a person coming in like um, cisgender man who like was then going through his like coming out queer experience in the South, like, reckoning with those identities, but then recognizing things about me that I never had before, um, whether those are like majority identities, minoritized identities, and then channeling that into the, what does that mean in the greater leadership process and how do those things shape the world around us? Um, And it's interesting because I feel like so many of my students, they know so much more um, now than I think I ever did, um, which makes me Mm -hmm. so excited. Also, I work at different institutions and places than I have before. So it's changed how my like work I feel like as a leadership educator, I guess, gets executed on. Um, but I still face that moment. So it seems some days that's like, 
but how are we still like getting back to those like foundations and like how do I understand what they need in order to move forward um which I think Amy spoke on some too like it looks different in every role even if you feel like you're a leadership educator or not because you are doing that work like I Mm -hmm. saw you doing it at Florida State when I was working down the hall um and now Mm -hmm. I'm in similar shoes trying to figure out what it looks like but and I wonder if you all, as you're all saying these stories too, Grant, you reminded me, Grant and I um, taught a gender and leadership class together. And I think our students tell us a lot where they would think we're like, weren't talking about leadership explicitly in that conversation too. But it's like the slippery slope conversation, right? Like they mentioned like conflict with a friend that they're going through. And then you start talking to them about that. And then you get the communication skills. And also you're talking about leadership again, right? Like this way of like how we make these things that they feel like are not moments of leadership learning or not a leadership process, or they're not a leader in that space, and how quickly the conversation of even just trying to be a confidant or mentor can turn into like, oh, this is a moment of leadership learning for you. Um, and they'll be like, oh, I don't, I wasn't, I wasn't talking about leadership. And it's like, you are though, <laughs> right? Like you are in so many of these phases of how you're navigating a group conflict, like with a group project or other things too, that they don't think are moments of leadership, even if they're in a leadership space, um, where these beautiful moments are going to be like, yeah, you might think this is just a human moment, but also how are we translating and taking a lens um, that again, that goes back to the gender generativity of it, right? Like how they're making lasting change, um, whether it's within yourself or within your context or your group organization um, that you work with that is going to have positive impact for the future. Well, I want to go with that theme because one of the, mm-hmm. one of the pieces that I know we have to be careful about in our work in leadership education work is that we're not, we're not just saying that something is, a leadership learning and development mm-hmm. experience simply because it offers the opportunity to practice some form of leadership. That's mm-hmm. certainly important in, in this, right? And we can very carefully start to throw, say that everything is a leadership program without it being intentional. And we want to make sure that that learning and development is intentional. So maybe the question to you all is when you think about um, the work you do in various in your various functional areas or or that the folks that work with you are working in various functional areas, in what ways are you explicitly bringing out the leadership related lessons in the work that you or your offices are doing with students? Melissa, I think that's a really good question and a really good point um, because I've lived in many spaces in the work world where folks say, we're going to do this program and it's going to be so fun. And they're not tying any learning outcomes or pieces to it. And then I've been on the opposite end where every single thing has so many deep learning outcomes tied to it that you're like, I can't actually do anything with this because I'm just trying to program to learning outcomes. Mm -hmm. What I think is interesting, particularly in the areas that I get um, to oversee. And so I oversee leadership and community engagement and service and philanthropy and sorority and fraternity life and some other traditions and programs and hazing prevention and all of that is that so often parts of that work are named leadership and parts of it are not. And I actually really love that because it becomes a way for students to not feel like they're signing up for something that might feel difficult to them, right? So sometimes Mm -hmm. leadership can be scary. Like walking into a room where you're like, I'm going on this to this leadership program or I'm in this leadership cohort can feel a little off-putting and scary to some students versus, oh, I'm going on an alternative breaks trip or I'm doing service this weekend or I joined Mm -hmm. a sorority. Spoiler alert, those are all leadership opportunities and programs, but it's about how we 
teach that before we name it. So whether it's doing reflection with a service project and then saying, you know what, let's talk a little bit about what, why we do reflection and why reflection is important. And, oh, reflection is a component of leadership. And it's, it's allowing them to sort of dip their toes in before we label something. Similarly to, we say in sorority and fraternity life that this is a leadership experience, but that's not always why students are joining those organizations. Mm -hmm. But once they dip their toes in, they get more experiences to help them navigate that. What I always fear is that sometimes leadership can feel really, really scary or the word leadership culturally doesn't always sit with everyone in the correct mm -hmm. way um, and had this conversation with a lot of students in the past. But when you're able to take skills that they've just learned and then name them on the back end, then students recognize leadership in a different way. And mm -hmm. so, yes, I love the some programs definitely need to be slapped a leadership label on that. And let's intentionally put leadership on this program and sometimes you kind of have to like slide it in the side door and be like <laughs> hey surprise guess what we just did leadership yeah mm -hmm. yeah our dear friend Darren Pierre talks about that a lot all the time I know he's talked to you about that before yeah. too but the notion that it's almost subversive right that mm -hmm. that because there is a because of the the dominant narratives about what leadership is for for a lot of students is not attractive and so to to help start this conversation about leadership can look differently and that it, people can identify with it in a lot of different ways sometimes we do have to be pretty strategic about how we name and when we name something about leadership. And usually it comes with a critical conversation first. Yeah. So, and oh, go ahead, Brittany. Go ahead, Amy. No, you go. I just like that kind of set me up for what I was thinking for my work, yeah. but I don't want to derail you if you had a good. Um, my, my thought was just going back to my own selfish research pieces of like the capacity and efficacy building, I think is the big thing for me in that is that students, even if we aren't going to map a leadership concept or theory or model onto a program, right? Like they go and engage, you're right, Kristen, in service, and we're not going to put the culturally relevant leadership learning model on it or the five practices or whatever it is. The idea that we can say from that service experience you had today, what skills, traits, capacities, characteristics, and what about yourself did you learn that you can translate beyond that one-time experience for me is that the most common or most um, natural for me bridge to the leadership education conversation around it, right? Of like, how do you not see this one-time service um, example as something that is just, you did it, did it on a Saturday because you're supposed to go on a Saturday and called it a day, but what do we take beyond this, again, the capacity and efficacy conversation that bridges to who you'll be as a leader in the future too? That actually set me up even better. It's like we planned that. I um, knew it. I just knew it. <laughs> Um, because I was actually thinking like in, in my current role in the, in the office of student conduct community standards, nobody is going to think of framing any part of an experience in a conduct office with leadership. But I actually think what helps our office work so well is if we think about leadership and education as that important developmental tool to helping these students become more accountable um, and then be better students on campus and really are the goal of our office, whether students believe it or not, and sometimes it's having those hard conversations to get them to believe it, is that we we are educative in nature and we really just want to help them be better students while they're here and learn from their um, whatever happened, their issue or their experience, um, but be accountable of that. And we actually do assign outcomes, which is great because they there is an outcome there, but that educative piece is 
we're not doing it so that students can feel like they were in trouble or did something wrong. We really want, there's no better time than when a student is, when you're a college student and you're learning for the first time how to work through a mistake, um, not even like a problem, but an actual mistake or a challenge. And, you know, accountability is key. And I think leadership education helps with that in our office, but it goes hand in hand to me with the personal responsibility for students, the ethical decision-making for students. Um, and then really all of that just helps them be better students. Again, that out of the classroom experience, working with our office is essentially an out of a classroom experience, whether you wanted to or not. Um, <laughs> and really we just wanna help you grow from whatever experience that you're, you're having to work with us on. But I think that every day, the leadership education and development lens is used in that student accountability piece. Um, and I, I really think that even though we know our goal is we're trying to be educative in nature, just daily trying to remind our students of that as well. And how can you learn from this experience, become more accountable, have better decision-making. I, I really think it goes hand in hand, even if somebody were to look at my job specifically and be like, I don't see the leadership education component there. It's really daily in the way that we're helping the students make better decisions. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Amy, I was thinking when I, Melissa, I started to brainstorm the season. One of the things I was like, is we, I was like, we've got to get someone from conduct on here because I think the one thing I think is brilliant is if someone looks at like a NASPA functional areas map, I think if they had to say like, which of these is the least likely to leadership education, people would default by their own perceived notions of conduct, right? Because like, oh, that's like a survival, right? Like lowest level of Maslow's, you're getting students through whatever they're getting through. But I think about, especially Mel, you'll know this, like in leadership and especially these like really immersive um, leadership training and development programs we do, we often ask students to think about a time that they were at their lowest or made a mistake or had something that felt um, incongruent with their values or something else that happened to them. And student conduct is seeing the students actually when it's happening, right? <laughs> like mm -hmm. the moment doesn't have to be seven years later when they're out of leadership or somewhere else where they're in this like intensive, immersive leadership education experience. It can also be happening like when they're actually having um, that happen to them. And I think about how, how incredible it would be to shift that. And I, I know that Amy is a growth mindset person. So I was like, she'll be perfect for this conversation around conduct and a growth mindset and leadership education. But how incredible would it be that if we had more conduct professionals who saw Again, even though the students at their like lowest and needing beautiful support and are having all kinds of other things, that this could still be a moment of helping them make sense of it in a leadership frame too. And last yeah. thing I'll say on that, because that's perfect, is is one of the things that I hope I do and that we do is that we are really empowering these students to kind of not only understand the impact of whatever that decision making was on themselves, mm -hmm. but like the broader community, campus community. And if we're if we're mm -hmm. helping them recognize that and recognize their actions and how it affects everybody else. To me, that's increasing their leadership identity, becoming more aware of how they're affecting the, the broader community. Yep, absolutely. That lesson of taking, connecting like values and ethics and integrity and congruence, like all those lessons there certainly like is a, it's a personal journey, but when you start to connect it to then how you show up or how you're perceived by, or how you interact with everyone else that's around you and how, what you have done impacts, right. Or how you choose to attend to this situation, how that impacts the people around you. That's a leadership lesson. And mm -hmm. it's important that we name it as one because yeah. 
if we, if it just becomes in the conduct example, if it just becomes about like, oh, you need to be an ethical or moral person, certainly that's an important aim. But if we don't make the connection there to leadership, we're missing an opportunity to help people reframe their thought around what it means to engage in leadership that like, we shouldn't be disassociating those two things. Mm -hmm. Well, I've been reading some more literature too on um, the concept of self-leadership, which not everyone subscribes to or is ready to have a conversation that like leading yourself is also an act of leadership in many ways and how many students then learn to translate their leadership beyond themselves, right? Is being able to learn from how they didn't lead in the ways they are. And again, I think conduct is this wonderful place where students are being held accountable um, for their own actions. But like you said, Amy, like for what they've impacted their community. And that's what we're trying to do with leadership too, right? It's talk about the collective and talk about um, even like social change model, right? Like the levels of which you engaged in leadership that impacts a community, um, your citizenship, other things too, that are all, all aligned with that so easily. I think the question you kind of ended with, Amy, too, of just that, like, how can we empower them to, like, shift their mindset from a punitive place to, like, understand what's in front of them, which I know looks very different in the world of conduct um, and accountability <laughs> than it does in orientation and transition mm -hmm. programs. But I think, like, Brittany was just saying, like, um, and Melissa, how are those things, like, connected? How do we not lose sight of them? Um, something Kristen said was this, like, leader is a scary word. I literally had one mm -hmm. of my returning student leaders who helps run our orientation program that two weeks ago. They were, like, the title of this job that we're trying to recruit for, um, we call them wave leaders. It's just an orientation leader. But a wave mm -hmm. leader on our campus, that's, like, a scary term. Like, it's hard to see that and commit to it. Like, Maybe you haven't felt like you're a leader. Maybe there's there's so much connotation around what that means, um, but it's in the name. It's always been there. And so how can we empower students to like believe in that and see themselves in the role and also subscribe to the fact that like there's so much to learn that I think connects to their community, to future experiences like several of y'all have circled. Um, because what they then said was like, well, I, I don't know what I feel about this word, like leader in our job title. But they were like, I'd say we like get to build community with each other. We get to uplift and understand stories. We get to follow and understand our college transition. We get to support and like facilitate for peers. And I was like, those are all components of leadership. Um, some of which we can have outcomes for. Some of which we literally have outcomes for in our program. Some of them we don't have to, um, their community building is a part of that experience, but I think is like a consequence of a leadership learning framework in action. Um, and so I think at least in the world of orientation, transition, retention programs, we know that leadership learning matters, um, but something I said earlier mm -hmm. and to your question, Amy, is like, how can we empower students to really believe in that for themselves, like and build meaning with us, knowing that it's always hopefully going to be there. Um, don't see that changing anytime soon, but that doesn't mean that what used to work is working now because students may question it. Students may not see themselves as a leader or again, they just don't even want to walk into a room and engage in that kind of learning, but they need those skills and abilities as we know. Um, and so how can we build up their efficacy for in that process and make it something they walk away with even out of a position that I only supervise them in for a year um, and give them that sense of empowerment, even if a scary word um, or that looks totally different than the nice even students considered it five, 10 years ago on our campuses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot about um, in a role like an, ori like an orientation leader and how there's 
it is a heavy logistical responsibility, right? Like we expect a lot of orientation leaders in terms of the responsibility they have not only for um, like designing and managing and facilitating programs, but like bringing community together, like you were talking about in some ways hurting cats, right? Like orientation programs mm-hmm. are there to run. And so then I think about like, gosh, how amazing when someone in that a role like that who maybe isn't personally owning the the title of leader like universally but in this role is really coming into their own that first step of really of finding themselves through that role is such a wonderful like jumping off point for being able to cultivate their efficacy to do the same thing in other spaces that mm-hmm. like that training right there, I think is just so valuable. And I'm so glad to hear that you all are being thoughtful about that and helping students understand that like, you may you may feel weird about this label that we're giving you, but what you're doing, that's leadership and you are brilliant at it. Like you can do this in other spaces too. I think that's mm-hmm. so valuable. Melissa, you perfectly set up the kind of meta philosophical thought I'm having about this conversation is Amy Gray, you in particular talked earlier, and Kristen hit it too. Uh, uh, we don't often think of ourselves as leadership educators if you're working outside of leadership space, right? But we're having the conversation about students not thinking that they want to be a wave leader because it has a leader in the title. But then Melissa's saying, right, it's all leadership work. We have to make it make sense for them. And what you two are describing is the work of deep, critical leadership educators that you're doing every day. But even the hesitancy there to be like, oh, I'm not really a leadership educator, right? Because this person's leadership educator because they teach classes or this person is because they write journal articles or whatever it may be. Um, they get people to think that that's a title that they can't um, hold as part of their identity as a leader. Um, and then Kristen talked earlier about the work she's doing at Ohio State to then train these folks across functional areas of like, hey, you're doing this. So let me give you the skills and tools and help build your efficacy to also then be able to yield this title that you're already doing. Um, and maybe like Grant said with the students have some hesitancy around um, thinking you need to yield it. But thinking about how, again, the transition of you finally maybe accept that you're a leader, but then trying to get you to be um, own the leadership educator title is also like another developmental step. Unless maybe that's your second, uh, your next study on the lid model is <laughs> trying to figure out how we then transition all the way to uh, owning owning that too the next waves of that as well oh 100 <laughs> percent. i mean i could talk about advanced stages of lid all day long okay so whatever y'all are ready for it let's just that do could, it but, that could be the part two of this panel <laughs> i know i know i mean i do but i do you know like y'all are just such great examples of um how we how we help people reframe what it even means to engage in leadership and that's that's to me one of the biggest opportunities for us in higher education is to help them see not only how they connect personally to that term, to that process, but how they also reframe what that process looks like for them and for others. Like the notion that you could be in a role where the sole focus is supporting others, supporting peers, building community, and to call that leadership instead of just the person at the front of the room barking orders. Like that Mm -hmm. paradigm shift is crucial. We know that from the research Mm -hmm. and you all are providing opportunities um, that demonstrate that in practice for students, like every single day and every moment of the work they're doing with you. So it's just Mm -hmm. the the opportunity is right. I think we, we maybe have skirted around this question, but I wonder, especially for practical folks like yourselves who are practitioners and again, are, are doing, um, the leadership education infused into all the other things that you have to do in your role and your functional area and the demands that we've talked about too. Um, 
what are you all finding to be helpful resources, models, um, spaces, blogs, whatever it may be that you're using, what are you finding either for maybe both and for your own development as an leadership educator, or what are you using with your students to infuse with your different functional area perspectives? What are you all finding to be helpful in the field? Where should people be looking um, for those resources that you are finding? It's challenging again, maybe, and but maybe I just like need to get over this like imposter syndrome of I'm not doing the work, but I think it's challenging yeah. because you can't just say, um, like normally I wouldn't think of being like, well, let's talk about the social change, social change model while we talk about your outcomes or resolution. Um, but I think there's work that we do in our office. I'm going to start with this. I don't do it. My wonderful colleague, Jeff Bates does it. Um, and it's restorative justice practices. Yeah. And, um, I, I think he's phenomenal at it. And in my title nine role, I try to have a lot of, I, I try to maybe get my cases to go through this restorative um, process because it's an opportunity to look at the harm that was caused and, be able to repair that harm by incorporating the opportunities for accountability and personal growth. So again, I think that falls under leadership education. And so we do that in our office. Um, so in a, in a way, even though that's not a named theory, I think in theory, that's one of the practices that we, that we do well. Um, again, Jeff Bates does that well. I just support him every day in that work. Um, but then if I think about, and I know Brittany, you talked about it, but earlier the social change model, of leadership development, if I think about how maybe I, I use that without knowing that I use that, um, it's because that that leadership is collaborative and value-based. And I really think that that increases the social responsibility. And so if I think about ways of helping the students get through the resolution process that they need with that focus, I really think I could say I'm incorporating that model daily mm -hmm. and I'm not even aware of it. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But I also think there's opportunity to do that more and create opportunities to learn and to create opportunities for students through the student conduct process to learn from each other more and support each other in a kind of a peer way and a peer setting mm -hmm. that extends beyond our one peer offering right now, which is we we have student conduct boards. So students sometimes can elect to go before a student conduct board, a board of their peers. But I think that there's more opportunity for that kind of work to create opportunities for students to learn from peers. Um, and so I would say, I, I think I'm not aware of what I'm using based on resources and theories, but I think if I had to think about it more like I am right now, I could tie to certain models or theories that I use daily um, in that practice. Yeah, shout out to all of y'all doing that. And maybe that's the challenge, right? Is to is to name it, claim it, name it for ourselves too. I mean, even as I hear you talking, right? We could even, I'm, I'm thinking about the emotionally intelligent leadership framework and thinking about in conduct notions of like consciousness of self, others and context and how like, even even in a coaching model in conduct to say like, um, you know, conscious being what, how am I feeling in this moment? How is what I'm feeling or what I'm projecting impacting the people around me? And how is the context that I'm in affecting the way that I'm thinking about? That? I mean, we, that's a, mm -hmm. that is a conduct conversation. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of really cool ways to, to connect, I think that work to all kinds of different frameworks. I'm glad you yeah. think that Melissa, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> As I was thinking and listening um, to what other folks have said, 
am thinking a lot about um, some of the reading I've done on feedback and some of the books I've read on feedback. Mm -hmm. Like there's so much goodness in true leadership education, written work, theories, and models. And there's so much to be garnered from going outside of the field sometimes. Mm -hmm. And for me, feedback specifically with staff, but also with students and teaching them how to give and receive feedback, both positive and more constructive is such an interesting leadership moment for a lot of people. And it helps create growth space and it helps them jump into a growth mindset space. And that is all leadership education too. And so there's a book called Thanks for the Feedback. Um, It's about like mastering the art of giving and receiving feedback. And I think the most important piece there is receiving feedback. Folks Mm -hmm. love to give feedback. Many people are really challenged by receiving feedback because they feel like it's an attack on their character. And so separating things you do or ways you do from who you are is such Mm. an important piece of leadership to say sometimes in a leadership role or sometimes in leadership education we may do something the way we do is not who we are right we we are our values we are our mindset we are a person sometimes what we do is not who we are and establishing that baseline particularly with students and then as they grow helping them learn to receive feedback and think about feedback as what a great growth experience this is and someone is telling me this because they care enough to know that they think I'm good at the work that I do and they want me to be better and good at the thing that I'm doing so I, I sometimes love to pull from other areas or other readings or other genres, because I think it's sometimes really easy to find the leadership education models, right? It's really easy to apply those. It's more difficult sometimes to apply external ideas to the leadership work we do. And what you're talking about, like creating a space for feedback and growth in that way, like I'm going to, I'm even going to pull it back to a leadership model because that's advanced lib right mm-hmm. there. Like we're, you're talking about, <laughs> you're talking yeah. about the shift that, that engaging in leadership, that you, that leaders are not perfect, that mm-hmm. you constantly are learning and growing in leadership throughout your life. And that you are a leader in lots of different contexts, not just in mm-hmm. the ones where you're doing a perfect job or have the perfect role. And that when you mess up and you fix it and you tend to it and you move forward, that's that constant growth process that we talk about in the lit model. So, mm-hmm. I mean, even with that, you know what I mean? Like it's all connected. Yeah, it's all it connected. Is. When I'm thinking about Amy and I, Dr. Weiser, Dr. Kathy Guthrie, her like signature tagline is feedback is love. Right. But in, and she usually says it in a way of like, Hey, I'm giving you feedback on your paper. I'm not mad at you. Right. Like just take the feedback and use it to be helpful. Um, but thinking about how much, even what Chris is talking about in the shift of your brain, when you're getting feedback on your actions or the way you navigate the world rather than who you are in the world is such a shift in how students think about it. It's grounded in relational leadership, right? It's grounded in lit. It's grounded in this culture of care that we've been talking a lot more about in leadership education of how do you create context of care that holds students in a space where they feel not to go back to the old school challenge and support, right? They feel supported so you can challenge them, right? Like that they know, um, Kristen, that giving them feedback is not you saying like, hey, you're bad at your job, but hey, here's how I would see room for us to all be better in this space based on this feedback too. And as someone who struggled for a really long time with feedback, that shift in my mindset um, has been one of my largest leadership lessons I still feel like I'm learning is how do I shift the mindset of getting feedback 
is really an act of leadership and love. Well, and also to kind of connect back to what Amy said, like failure too is such a great opportunity. And Mm -hmm. that means if you're in a conduct process or you've just let your peers down, you were supposed to be doing something with them and you failed, right? Mm -hmm. But failure is not the worst thing in the world. Failure is not to go back to quote, leadership from long ago. I am a a snail in the deepest, darkest crevice of the world. It's just you, you didn't reach the point with which you needed to get to, to succeed. Like failure is such a scary word. And gosh, what a great leadership experience to fail at something. So you learn something and get to do it the next time better, or you've got Mm -hmm. to learn from the actions. And if someone cares enough about you, whether it's your peer or an advisor or a mentor to tell you, Hey, man, you failed this time, but that's okay. And we're Mm going to do better next time. And let's reflect a little bit on what we could have done differently or how we could have mapped this differently. Like what a great gift that is for you. And you don't even oftentimes realize it's happening until way later when you're like, wow, what a gift that was that someone told me I failed at that, but I got better the next time and better the next time. And now I'm amazing at it. Yeah. Honestly, Failure is a launch pad to me, I think. Uh-huh. And I think this has been, honestly, this is kind of like a leadership therapy session, guys. Because <laughs> kind of you're, you're thinking about your own pathways and like the work you're doing. But I agree with you, Kristen. Mm-hmm. But I, I, and I just see failure as a launch pad for so many opportunities and growth. And then one oh. day they'll look back and realize like, whoa, I yeah. am here because of that experience. Yeah. Grant, I don't, I hope I'm not feeling your example, but I, I think that Grant and I did this activity in our class when we taught together. I'm nicely using a lot of spaces called Zoom. It's on Amazon. It's super cheap. Maybe I'll have Derek put the link in the episode notes, but um, it's this activity. It's a puzzle and, and students think it's fun. I think it's a game, but it's all about worldview and perspective. And all the students have a piece of the puzzle that doesn't make any sense with the rest of them until you see it zooming in on a small picture. Right. Um, but it's this idea. And, and for me, I think, especially Gen Z and coming out of the pandemic, perspective has been one of the leadership lessons. I feel like I'm constantly framing because it's grounded in context context it's grounded in relationship like how do we like Kristen's saying like take the perspective of like hey it's okay that you failed like nobody died everyone's still here like all is well and like what can we learn from it and make conducive of it because when the students burrow in shame and guilt and all the other things from failure nothing gets learned right because they've kind of retreated into the what, what did Kristen say the snail in the in the cave right like like they're burrowing away so far that there's not a moment for learning um so how do you use the perspective that hopefully we're grounding in the leadership framework of if you can take the perspective you can still have the growth I feel like also I feel like this falls maybe into every framework to what Amy said of which ones am I using or am I not using (laughs) but I feel like it's the acknowledgement of like you're not a snail in a cave like you signed up or chose to be here like and giving them that priming moment of like you chose to kind of steer the wheel of this framework and like what it's going to look like and I love running with that metaphor and maybe that's just our lovely faculty of Florida State University rubbing off on me in past class experiences but really grounding in like, where are you at in your journey here, whether that's been one you've recognized within leadership or not, um, so that when we talk about an activity like Zoom, where you're zooming in and out on your mistakes, or we move into an activity where you're reflecting and um, observing um, on the transitions you've been through in college, the failures, the highs, the lows, what have those given you and built into your capacity 
um, and the skills and abilities you hold have maybe made you doubt or push up the way you believe in your ability to engage in the process and then shapes literally how you engage in it all. Like what has put forward those moments um, and challenged them. And I think it's, been useful to like lean back into that first moment and to always revisit the idea that like the wheel is here like you signed up mm -hmm. filled out the application walked into this room and space and i am not here to define what that looks like for you anymore while i will help like set outcomes and create an experience um and for me co-construct one that really aligns with not only where you want to go in this position you may hold or this class course whatever it is um but also where you will walk out of here from. Um, I feel like that's also like a maybe toxic higher ed like headspace I've checked with practitioners. It's like my students are just passing through my office. I want to go see them like shine and cheer them on, even if I don't see them again, um, you know, in person after they pass through my halls that I work in with them on, but that they really get to center and um, engaging in the process and know that there's no mapper like blueprint for it, but that they get to like write some of it. Um, and so for me, I think leaning into like the steering wheel and the whole leadership learning framework model. It gives like easy tools to talk about with students for me. That's like, what are we doing here? Um, and how can we learn some of the things we're working on for me again, to get you to a place where you feel comfortable, confident, and excited to be welcoming thousands of students and supervising the student leaders that do it at our university. Um, but also to really recognize that it can be messy sometimes and it's going to be sometimes you will feel like you're that snail in the cave as we all have visited um, but that's as much a part of the leadership process to be thinking about those things and questioning them um, critically as well not in a punitive way but in a like this is all about growth um, which I feel like can dig down a whole other train of like what culturally relevant leadership learning looks like um, but for me like getting to dig back to the beginnings and then apply some of those things onto whatever is in front of us in the specific experience and I think the last thing I'll say is like students are asking more than ever, like, so how does this connect to what I want to do? Or they're not even going to mm -hmm. sign up for something if they can't see it at the front end. So giving them that, not even an outcomes form, but getting them the chance to talk about it and really have a conversation about it um, and change, I think, how they view leadership learning in all of our spaces and then for themselves, which is so key. I love that. And it's actually really a perfect segue into our last question for our time together, which is mm -hmm. essentially just about what you see for the future of leadership education and in, in the, maybe in the spaces that you're working in, the communities of practice that you're in. Um, what does leadership education or leadership learning and development in, in maybe in your hopes and dreams look like in the future? I, I was just talking, but I'll carry on some of the point I think I was visiting, um, which I think for me, in an institutional lens, um, we mentioned this earlier, but is that like scaffolded across like every unit, department, office, wherever we are, that like people top to bottom can center themselves in like how we're promoting leadership learning and infusing it in our experiences. And that it's not just the job of like a sole office or professional, but that like how we're all taking steps into that, whether it's um, our academic advisors of past Kristen, like trying to figure out how folks are like getting to those opportunities to the Amy's understanding, like when a student is experiencing failure and challenge and has to go through a process because of some of the mistakes that have been made or the issues they've encountered that there is growth there. And then that there are resources and support and positions that are still accessible to them um, and that they get to engage and learn from. Um, and I think that takes really strategic direction. I think that a lot of our institutions 
and administrators um, are leaning into it. I think some of us like to believe we are just doing it. But I also think it's easy to, again, it's like to just name leader and leadership in these words that we've attached things to. But what does that actually look like for our institutions? How are we like stringing those things together across units, reorganization? Um, I feel like for me, especially in like orientation transition work, another buzzword is just like student belonging and like how does leadership connect to that bigger idea? Because for me, I don't think students can find that sense of belonging on my campus if my student leaders can't lean into the leadership process and like understand it fully. But I need my co-coordinator to be on board with that. I need my directors and like folks above me to understand why that's important as well. Um, and I think a lot of that also takes reshifting with where, like I said earlier, students currently are. Um, and that is just at a very different place with like recognizing leadership and where they're at in it. Um, and it means that some of the things we feel are like tried and true just like aren't anymore. The wheel keeps turning and like we have to steer our car back onto whatever highway, um, like turn your merger on, we will be merging lanes. And that's okay. Again, it's messy. And it doesn't mean our jobs are the easiest. But if we thought our jobs were easy, we probably wouldn't be in higher ed. Um, so figuring it out and taking those steps to be adaptable and flexible, because it's a process at the yeah. end of the day. Oof, uh, leadership. It's a process. Yeah, a scaffolding of leadership across the institution is like, Ooh, that's a, that's an ice cream sundae with a cherry on top right there. That would be amazing. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, I also think like, Grant, you make a lot of really great points, but I was thinking about this just all through this conversation, but I also think there just has to be intentional investment and intentional fostering of an environment where it can happen. Yeah. And I think that at Florida State, we do a really good job in a lot of spaces for this. Um, but even like in myself talking about my experiences and the work that I'm doing and saying that I'm not even calling it what it is. I'm not intentionally making that happen, I think. And so I, I see a lot of opportunity for growth in just like-minded peers and colleagues that I have specifically at my institution of like, let's call it what it is, what we're doing. Um, Cause we're supporting students. And one of the goals I, I know, I think I touched on this earlier and, and I know a lot of campuses across the country are really focused on student success, but we are really focused on student success at Florida <laughs> state buzzword focused on student success. <laughs> but I think that comes from every aspect and staff member, faculty and student. So I say that to say too, that I think that like increasing leadership education um, on campuses also comes with like focusing on faculty, staff, and administrators too, recognizing that we still benefit from leadership education. I learn things daily. I've learned so much today from you all. There are individuals um, that I no longer get to have class with, but still so glad I don't have any more class. But <laughs> <laughs> that I learned from daily, Derek. Derek, when you when you um, edit this podcast, I I learned so much from him. I just so I think mm -hmm. it's important for us as practitioners to recognize that even if we are practicing leadership education, that we're also learning from that as well, and that 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 goal and that in fostering that environment of that learning is at every level. Um, and I think if we can all think about that then there's only a, the trend will only continue to increase um, for leadership educators. My, my all bit has been that we're all lifelong learners now. Um, <laughs> lifelong even learners. when they let us leave classrooms, we're lifelong learners, the bravest of soldiers <laughs> um, <laughs> to keep learning. 
but it's so I think it's hard because sometimes I feel like we get in our space in our zone and just move past that idea that you're learning and you still are but um even in my first um year or so of like working now to like have to recenter constantly and like being willing and wanting and able to learn and even to the first things that I got taught in high school in my first whether it was known to me or not like leadership lessons as an undergrad orientation leader that were like question like who you are and where you are and how you approach things um and if we can't do that like we can't move those like systems and changes forward that need to progress for ourselves so retweet Amy Something Grant originally said um, struck a chord and talked about um, having a sense of belonging. And there are some recent college environment studies out there that talk about how loneliness is an epidemic on our college campuses right now, mm-hmm. um, with over 50% of students on college campuses feeling lonely. Mm-hmm. And so I think leadership education has this really cool capacity to help create a sense of belonging help create ties between students, ties that tie students to faculty and staff, helps create conversations. But I think there's something really cool and interesting there about how we use leadership education experiences, some of these student engagement experiences to help combat that sense of loneliness on campus. Um, And you know, something I find really cool, entire side tangent, something I find really cool about Gen Z is they just view the world and what they want to learn very differently than millennials did. And they are just, they're just different to be in conversation with in a really cool way. And what I have loved is when I get to have conversations with students, they, they dig in deep on one thing. And so what I've been loving is one group of students that I do get to see a little bit more often in one of um, our programs at Ohio State, Buckeye Leadership Fellows, This group, they dive into cultural competence so deeply in their leadership work. And they're like, great, I hear that theory or I hear that thing you're teaching. Let's talk about how in my culture or in my background, how this shows up as leadership and how you might not label it as leadership. And so pulling from different backgrounds and cultures um, to understand leadership from a variety of perspectives is really cool. And letting the students take the lead on that is what I hope continues to happen, right? I love the student-led trend of like, hey, I'm going to call bullshit on this thing that you just said, because that feels rooted in um, misogyny or whiteness or the patriarchy or whatever. And then they ask the question, what else? What, What else can you show me? Well, great question. Let's put a critical consideration on that. And let's think about where else we can find great examples of leadership that aren't rooted in those things that might be a turnoff to you. And these students are willing to take up the cause, right? They want to be part of it. And I hope that continues forward because I love that trend. And I love that motion moving forward of students challenging us and saying, let's find something different. Maybe it's not labeled leadership education, but it is, it is leadership education. And so I think that is really cool and something I've been really jazzed to see students do and push back on. What a great, what a great call back to this point of us continuing to grow and learn in our roles as leadership educators. What a great call mm-hmm. to us to, to remain open and to think about mm-hmm. um, 
spaces where we uh, should maybe be doing some more co-construction, right? In the spirit of literary practice, mm -hmm. we can be co-constructing alongside students um, when they offer us all of that free curriculum that maybe we didn't expect. Um, yeah. And it's amazing to lean into that and to be open to it. Yeah, Grant and I just, um, all selfishly plug, we just wrote um, an article about actually peeling back some of the class practices we use in um, that gender course with a student who had just graduated. I was a student in the course and wanted to just be involved in leadership education a different way. Um, but how much I learned from her in a in a kind and thoughtful approach, but also peeling back the curtain for me of like, okay, as a student, here's how we're receiving this. Like, here's what's working. Here's what's not working. Like, here's what's landing. Here's what I think. And now she's a year removed as um, an alumni and in a job and she's like here's what's translating to me in my job now and what I'm taking what I took from the class or what was helpful here's maybe what isn't as transferable beyond the college setting right and um yeah if, I, if we ask Gen Z they will tell us that is one thing I have learned if you ask Gen Z they will let you know um we just have to be able to go to them with the questions because they are they're ready to give us feedback I think it's going to help shape the field in immeasurable ways like Kristen was saying um y'all, we did the thing. This is we this was amazing. A great conversation. <laughs> Amy's Amy's so right that these podcasts and the podcasts are twofold. One, it's just it's so fun to have these conversations with you all and so energizing. And Amy joke it's like leadership therapy. Um, but many <laughs> times it is right of this in my own growth and, and learning and the metacognition that we get to do here. Ding 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 for another model in theory, but um, it's a metacognition we get to do on that front. But also, I think what I'm so excited about folks listening to this episode is um practitioners are doing a lot of good stuff, right? But they often don't have the time for a podcast or writing the journal article or doing a thing because they are grant joke boots on the ground, right? Earlier, they are doing the work every day with our students, which is so brilliant. But um, Melissa and I feel like we both can echo that the, the best practices I learn about what we should be doing in leadership education is from practitioners who are doing it every day. I mean, they, they tell you the most innovative, um, pedagogically sound, brilliant approaches to what they're doing and, and so adaptive, right? Based on the student group they're with or the context they're in or other things too. Um, so I'm so excited that listeners will get to hear directly from y'all's voices about how you're doing that and your functional areas and the places you're in and the people you're with. Um, makes me really excited. Thank you for being with us today, y'all. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks y'all. What a conversation. I know. I love a good practitioner chat. I mean, they mm. are, they are so in it. Like even like whether it's, you know, student facing yeah. or working directly with colleagues who are doing leadership, I, I, they're really just in it. And they are perfect mm. examples of like what we have been talking about needing to highlight through this podcast. So yeah, we, um, as we were logging off with them, kept joking about the boots on the ground comment, but it is right. It's, it's the boots on the ground. It's the second title of this episode is the boots on the ground of um and this is something that you know as I was doing my dissertation work Kathy and I talked a lot about in um how when I was writing my recommendations in particular I was like how do I ground this that this is a research study but I want my recommendations to be written that can be applicable and actually applied right then these like kind of like philosophical like big idea pieces of like what are we actually doing and so many of the things I've learned that I infused in that writing was from folks like these three and all of these three that I saw actually in their practice of this is what they're doing. And I think there's a conversation that was happening at ILA conferences last year um, about how we're not really using just like 
this program talks about the social change model anymore, or this program talks about cultural evolution, are they using like full models as like the curriculum anymore? And the way that these three practitioners were talking about, I use pieces here or there, sometimes I don't even call it that. Sometimes I have to map it on later and the innovative and adaptive approaches around making it make sense for leadership. And sometimes that's taking one part of this model, one part of that theory and something of a concept together to make that make sense to the leadership education experience is what the field is talking about doing. It's like we're, we're shifting back to kind of saying like the adaptive approaches to leadership education and learning are what we have to do because it doesn't make sense anymore again to say like this class is focused on emotionally intelligent leadership only. Like where you have to piece in all these other things that makes sense for the experience our students are actually having both inside the classroom, outside the classroom and outside of the university setting as a whole. Well, no, I think that's a really good point. And plug for Ben Crea Harker's article in our mm-hmm. newly released MDSL issue. You know, he talks about applying, um, not just applying theories and models, but weaving and connecting and complementing yeah. lots of different things all together. And so it doesn't mean that we don't use theories, models, and frameworks. What it means is we're yeah. being more nuanced and complex and layering in the way that we yeah. use theory and scholarship. And like everything, every time, it's so funny because I'm reflecting on our conversation with those three just now. And yeah. with the lens that you and I bring, because we're more in, we're more kind of in faculty roles right now and, yeah. and, and we're in writing and all of that, everything they're saying, I'm like, oh, I can connect it to that model or that yeah. pedagogy or that <laughs> approach. Right. And like, yeah, all that is there. It's all present. They're doing all of it. And so mm-hmm. not only is it important to recognize that the value of the work that they're doing, but also I think that conversation just underscores how important it is for those of us that are more in the practice or more in the scholarship and publication world to be talking and working with one another because both are so important. You cannot do one without the other. Mm -hmm. And we haven't mentioned because it just went live this week that we're recording and we'll think this episode comes out in just a few days. So they should be relevant. The new NDSL is out. Can you just tell people a little nugget so that people know where to find it? Because I do think it connects, like you said, really well to this conversation we just had as an extra resource for people. Yeah. Yeah. And Thanks to you, friend, for also writing an article in that issue. But for those who are looking for more about applying theories and models in leadership program design and curriculum, um, we just did the New Directions for Student Leadership um, issue number 180, which talks Mm -hmm. all about that. Dr. Darren Pierre and I are co-editors, and um, we've got wonderful um, article authors who who take some of the most commonly used theories and frameworks in leadership education and not just give you an example of how to use it, but actually walk you through their like thinking process with how they Mm -hmm. use a model or a theory or framework to design an experience and then Mm -hmm. also how they teach it as content. And so that kind of like jump into our minds and like see how we think and how we make this work approach to this particular issue, I think is something mm-hmm. that um, folks have, um, especially listening to this podcast, are going to find really valuable because it's it's theory informed, but it also is very tangible. Yeah. When this, the one thing I love about NDSL, and I feel like your article that you created in your issue, and I do think, I was thinking about that during the call, I'm like, we're kind of creators. Like on the podcast, we're kind of creating these things around context. In the NDSL, you created these conversations that are so helpful but I think particularly with the NDSL medium that are shorter and more succinct articles which make it more digestible but also the way that you and Darren asked us as authors to kind of package the conversation on it is so practically driven like I think when we wrote ours it was like maybe a page on the actual model or theory or framework because like there's a million places people can go read about that like let's jump into the nitty-gritty of like what does it look like to have intention. I know when B and I were writing too, we did one curriculum, one co-curricular example, but also one example where it was 
um, be talking about in his curricular setting of saying like, I implicitly use this for my own design, but I wasn't telling students elements of the model. I wasn't using the language in the class, but I used it as an undergirding for the experience. Whereas in mine, I explicitly taught to students and then kind of what I learned from that experience too. Um, and I think that so many of the articles have this, the many nuances of doing this work. And it's not anymore saying like, here's a social change model. Let's map three workshops around it and call it a day. But the many, many nuanced approaches to using models and theories that you all captured is just so brilliant. I think going to be such a, a value add to the field. Thank you. Thank you. So y'all yeah. listeners, I hope you'll check it out. I hope you find it useful really. Mm -hmm. is, is so yeah, the editorial is open access on Wiley for the shameless plug. Um, if you're an institution, if you work at an institution, um, most of them have the Wiley database as free access to. So make sure you, you find it there. Um, and again, we're going, they go from like models and theories that you've known and you've heard and you've learned um, into more new and emerging literature that's coming out too. So you get a real whole spectrum. Absolutely. Cool. Well, on that shameless plug, um, also I know we mentioned um, other things too. We hope that if y'all are coming to NASPA, you let us know. We'll both be there. Um, and we would love to connect with folks that are enjoying the conversations um, and want to chat more about any of the episodes too. But we'll have a new episode again in another two weeks. See y'all next time. See you next time.